Welcome to Life Hurts, God Heals. I'm one of your hosts, Kurt Flegel. And I'm your other host, Kim Ward. So we are talking about boundaries today, Kim. Boundaries. Yes. We have those? Sometimes. Mm. And that's kind of the point, right? Yeah. Why are boundaries so important for our well-being? That's a good question. When I say the word boundary or boundaries, what comes to mind? I tend to think property lines, honestly, is probably one of the boundaries I tend to think about a lot. Sure. It's probably the most recognizable boundary for most people. Yeah, that's, I would think the same thing. You know, fences, boundaries, you know, but then personal space boundaries, um, those, those can be really hard to enforce. It's that feeling of, I don't know how to do this. I think just growing up, boundaries weren't something that were allowed very often. Just even the ability to say, hey, I don't like what you're doing. Please stop and have that be respected. So so verbal boundaries either a lot of the times, at least growing up for me, were not something that was was respected. I was like, oh, how do you enforce that? That later on, I think a lot of us struggle with that for mm. sure. What I hear you saying is there are people that don't realize that other people have personal boundaries and they violate them all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, because everybody's different, right? Maybe we don't realize it when we are violating other people's personal boundaries or personal space mm-hmm. because we have different boundaries than they do. Everybody's different. Everyone's unique. That creates an interesting dynamic of how we relate to one another, right? So what are some personal boundaries that you don't like people to violate to step over? Mm. Well, the one that comes to mind that least is attached with a story would just be, I have only a certain amount of teasing or joking around at my expense that I can take uh, before you've hit my fuse button and I will shut down or actually go from just being, okay, that's annoying, to, okay, now you've crossed the line. And, and then, then, then my temper comes into nice, nice effect. And, hey, my fuse is a heck of a lot longer than it used to be. Yeah. But I was thinking back to, it was probably the first time that you and Sherry and then uh, our friends, your your wife, (laughs) and then my friends Robert and Emily, we all got together to play a board board game. And I still say I made the mistake of sitting between you and Robert at the same time. (laughs) And normally that's not much of a problem. I don't have that many friends I consider to be brothers as well. But in this case, both of you wind up going at me at the same time. And you say going at you. Teasing, poking, generally being annoying in that kind of big brother with younger sister fashion, which is okay in small doses, but when you're getting it from both sides, is a little much. (laughs) It takes a lot for a nine to speak up and go, okay, you've gone too far. Enneagram 9. An Enneagram 9. <laughs> yes, an Enneagram 9, it can take a while before we're pushed to the point where we actually go, no, you've gone too far, this is not okay. And I hit that point, actually, relatively quickly. And I said something, and you looked at Robert, and you're like, is she serious? And he's like, yeah, dude, you better stop. Better calm down. Like, you better calm down. Like, if you, if Kim's hit that point, like, she really means it. Mm. At least one of you remembered. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. Which was fine. But, you know, then you guys stopped and gave me time to 
decompress and go back down to normal, much more happy-go-lucky <laughs> Kim. So I think that's definitely a boundary line. Like, I don't mind a little teasing and a little messing with, but if you keep going and going with it, eventually it stops being funny. Yeah. Probably a big one. If I'm home, I probably pretty much like to be left alone 98% of the time. So I like to have the physical space. I don't want to talk to anyone. And it's not because I dislike the other person necessarily. I just, when I'm home, that's my time to decompress and unwind and gather my energy back together because I am an introvert. So I get more of my energy from being alone and having that space. So (laughs) that one definitely can get pushed sometimes. Well, it's important, I think, here to make a note mm-hmm. that you are single yes. and you have a roommate. Yes. It would be, it's important to clarify, you're not talking about a husband that went your home. <laughs> yeah, I, I have considered how much of a pain that's going to be when I get married. It might there'll, be a lot, there, there'll be a lot of benefits to it, but I'm like, hmm, that's going to be an interesting boundary to try to figure out how that works. Well, it's a different relational dynamic, too. And I think that's important to mention that we have boundaries in different relational contexts, Mm -hmm. too. Yeah. So honestly, like, I'm not a big fan of people showing up just randomly at the house. I mean, it sounds nice in theory, but normally at that point I've hit decompress mode and all I really want to do is be left alone. And so for me... When I'm home, that's my time to not interact with people or talk to people. So figuring out the boundary between being myself and wanting to introvert and then not being rude to the you know the other person who I live with is a definitely an interesting one that I'm still trying to figure out. That brings up a question. Mm-hmm. There's so much complexity to boundaries, like we've already said. Like there's differences between different kinds of relationships, and we have different boundaries for different people. So that begs the question, whose responsibility is it to know and communicate boundaries? The person who has them or the person that they're relating to? The definition of a boundary is a boundary is a property line. This is your property. You're responsible for anything that happens on your property. You're only responsible for your stuff. You're not responsible for what happens on someone else's property. So as far as communicating that goes, you are responsible to communicate where your boundaries are. You know, it's, we are responsible for our boundaries and we're responsible to other people to respect their boundaries. Mm. I love how he says it. He's like, I am my problem and you are your problem. And when you say he says that, you're talking about Henry Cloud, which wrote the book on boundaries, literally called Boundaries. Boundaries. (laughs) Yeah. I was listening to uh, session one of uh, a live thing that he video streamed on YouTube. So you said we're responsible for our boundaries, our property line. Mm -hmm. So what does that look like? What does our responsibility look like when someone crosses that? That's a big one. We're responsible to communicate that. To go, hey, this is what you did. This crossed this boundary line. I'm not okay with that. I need you to respect that. And that that can be hard. A lot of us struggle with communication, as we've seen perfect examples of lately in our meetings. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I'm not sure where the boundary line in this one is. Am I just frustrated? Or 
is there actually a problem? Is the frustration a problem? I mean, my brain likes to go 50 million different directions. Is there frustration or is there a bigger problem in regards to... So taking like the thing with you and Robert and the, the teasing. Now, I had at various times warned both of you, hey, if I ask you to stop, it means you've actually gone too far. Now, Robert has actually experienced the consequence of crossing that boundary. I did what Enneagram 9 does really well. I shut down and I backed off and was not available and available available to him. So at like, at the time that he was learning this lesson, he was the youth pastor at the church that uh, we were both attending and I was one of his volunteers and it looked like monitoring text messages a good sign normally is if I'm not hugging you within about the first five minutes, normally within the first 30 seconds, I'm either upset about something that someone else did or I might be upset with you being a physical touch love language person. You know, so it was just all these little things, but I also kind of wouldn't talk to him. Like I'd be physically present, but mm-hmm. not available to him as a friend, you know, kind of doing the bare minimum not making eye contact. This was 20-year-old me, so I've improved since then. But it got to the point where finally he's like, oh, you're mad at me, aren't you? Uh-huh. Why are you mad? Really? <laughs> I told you my boundary line. I told you if I ask you to stop, that means I really mean it. And you crossed it. And so slowly over the next ooh, 17, 18 years, he got a lot better at it to the point where he was able to warn you, dude... She's serious. (laughs) When a boundary gets crossed, Mm -hmm. for you, relational context, right? Someone does something that you don't like. What would happen, what are the consequences for you, personally, if it doesn't get resolved? Well, (laughs) if it doesn't get resolved, which, let's be honest, tends to take me a while to resolve those things. Well, even to be honest with the person, right? Sometimes. Yeah. Well, sometimes. I think it depends on which boundary is being crossed, how easy it is for me to go, hey, what you did, I don't like. Now, the teasing, I've gotten pretty good at having to set that. An Enneagram 9 is not exactly fond of being angry, so uh, that was an easier one to set in some respects. But there are other boundaries like, not a big fan of being forgotten. So a boundary for me is if you are going to be running late, I would prefer that you message me and let me know, hey, I haven't forgotten you. So that one I think can be a little bit of a harder one to go like, hey, you did that again. And of course, the longer you're in a relationship and the more someone does that, the the more sensitive you get to it. Because I'm like, wait, how many times have I told you this? Is it easier to tell them when you're closer to them or harder? It probably depends on what space I'm in at the time a little bit. Because sometimes it feels like, dude, you're just being overly dramatic. Why aren't we just getting over this? So so sometimes that voice goes in and it's like, I don't want to say this again. But it doesn't get fixed until you say something. And then it can be off your mind. Because otherwise you're just carrying that around with you. So there's been violations to your boundaries. And you keep carrying that. What are the consequences of that Well, (laughs) I know the violations of boundaries hurt. So you're, yeah, it's pain. You're going to try to find some way to cope with that pain. Maybe it's lashing out. Maybe it's 
freezing them out, maybe it's disappearing, or maybe it's numbing out and just not dealing with it at all, which, you know, as an Enneagram 9 is, is quite high up on my go-to list. I don't have to think about that. It just tends to automatically happen without thinking about it. But it doesn't put you in a healthy place because eventually you have to deal with it. And the longer you're not dealing with it, the more it hurts, the bigger it looks, and the harder it can be to have that conversation because you're more emotionally invested at that point. What I, I think about is why forgiveness mm-hmm. is a big deal. When like someone crosses our boundary and creates pain and we don't resolve that, whatever resolution looks like, right? And we'll talk, we, we should talk about what resolution looks mm-hmm. like for us. Yeah. They have violated our boundaries and we have not resolved it, right? Whose property line is it that's been violated? Mine. Right. So whose responsibility is it to resolve that then? It sucks, but it's, it's, it's my responsibility to resolve right. that boundary. That person has crossed the boundary and they are now in our space emotionally, mentally, right? They're in our space, in our heads and hearts, and we don't resolve that. Do they go anywhere? Unfortunately, no. You wind up carrying them with you as extra baggage. And so the person who hurt you and violated your space, you are allowing to live and camp out in that space. And now they're living there, saying in our minds and hearts the same hurtful thing, doing the same hurtful thing over and over again. It's like, you know, this is where our responsibility is to get it off of replay. We have to resolve it, otherwise they camp out there. Here's the scary thing. Think of how, in our boundary space, how many people stack up and living in our heads and hearts when we don't resolve it. Resolution is eviction, Hmm. right? That's what forgiveness is, is eviction. Like when someone violates me, in whatever way they've crossed into and, and violated my boundary space and hurt me and created pain, then this is my responsibility to get them out. And that's really forgiveness. It's, it's releasing them from my property, getting them out so they stop living rent-free in my heart and mind, you know, creating more pain and um, hurt that I'm allowing that to just go on and on. And that's a scary thing to think about. You know, when we're holding on to grudges, we think somehow we're hurting them. It is absolutely an unthinking reaction that we humans do. We hold grudges and we refuse to forgive. It is a natural, almost an animal instinct. If we really think about it, that is not a logical move. Because forgiveness is actually freeing us. It is actually releasing and evicting people off my property. If I've got people trashing my house that I'm renting to... And I let that go on. Is that logical? Not particularly. Right? I'm letting people stay in the property lines of my mind and heart who are trashing me. And I, I think, oh, yeah, I'm going to hold that grudge and hold, and hold that in. I'm hurting me. I'm hurting my property. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, this is my property that's being trashed over and over again. It makes no sense, and yet we do it all the time as humans. Just recently we said that as humans, we like to think we're logical and we're, we're thinking people, when in reality we operate more out of our emotions than our minds. And here's a primary example of that. 
Most people immediately hold a grudge without thinking. That's an emotional reaction. Um, so it's an instinctual thing. Because that instinct kicks off first, speaking as someone who falls in the instinct. Which is body. Body, triad. Like that gut. It's, it's that self-preservation, your body kicking into the fight, flight, or freeze response to what's, to a hurt, to a pain. Those things make sense if it's, oh, I stepped on a nail. Or, you know, you run into a pack of dogs, obviously, your wild dogs, whatever, you got to fight. But those things don't make the same amount of sense when you're talking about hurts and wounds and relationships because it's not the same kind of pain. It's mm-hmm. just our instincts are to, to treat it the same way. So we are these instinctual creatures mm-hmm. who hold on to grudges, which means we are letting people be squatters on our property, right? Yeah. Everyone we have not yet released and forgiven and evicted is living in our minds and hearts. Think of how many people that is that we're carrying around. That's a lot of weight. What does that do to our mental, emotional, even physical well-being to be carrying that kind of weight? There's a reason we wind up tired all the time. Because you're always fighting some battle against, against a weight you weren't supposed to be carrying in the first place. It's exhausting. You know, you don't wind up in a healthy place. I mean, look at the depression rates, you know that we have going on right now. And yeah, some of that's chemical imbalance, but there's an awful lot that's going on just because we're not taking the time to clean up our property. So we get depressed or angry all the time because it's fight, flight, or freeze, right? So you get people who numb out, which is kind of more the depression side of it. You get people with flight, which also falls under that, trying to hide from it. And then you get the people who are fighting and they're angry because... You're carrying all of that. It feels like everything is going wrong. And everyone is the, suddenly becomes the enemy. Yeah. That's an interesting symptom, right? Anger. I mean, what you're saying makes me think of personal experiences and what's happening nationally. It's a good thing that in our country today, we don't see everybody getting angry at everybody else. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. But there is a root cause right there that we're tapping into for that anger. I have someone very close to me that just recently said that she feels like everyone is attacking her always. That's her sense. Mm -hmm. And it just reaffirms to me that there's squatters on her property that she has yet to evict. That's a lot of weight to carry. So here's another scary part of this. Mm -hmm. We're not just emotional. We're not just mental or physical. There's a spiritual component, right? I just had a guy, Chris, who was our first co-host when we first started this. He recently came over to my house and we got into like talking about spirits, demons, things like that. And Chris made a comment that really was the impetus for actually this particular episode. He said, angels, fallen or otherwise, do not think like humans. They're, they don't operate like us. They're of a different order, and they operate within lines. Even fallen angels, they have rules that they're guided by in their modus operandi, their mode of operation, right? They operate within lines. Mm -hmm. So if there is, say, demonic activity in a house, those fallen angels, those spirits, they cannot go outside of of that property line of that house. 
they're bound by those boundaries. If they are not normally allowed to cross property lines, cross boundaries, how were they able to cross the property line to be operating in that family's or that person's house? Well, the funny thing about forgiveness and unforgiveness and boundaries, you have a property line, you have fences, you got gates. (laughs) Gates are meant to only let in the good things to protect the good stuff and to keep the bad stuff from coming in. But it doesn't always work. And unforgiveness is one of those things that opens gates that weren't supposed to be open to those things. And lets in things that were never supposed to be in your boundaries and your property line in the first place. Yeah, that's a great point. It kind of reminds me of, you know, all the horror movies where vampires <laughs> yeah. can only come in. If they're invited. Yeah. And this is where God's commands mm-hmm. are boundaries. Yeah. You know, all of God's commands are actually in place, our boundaries that set us in a healthy place. Yeah. God's commands, they're meant to be these protective borders around our lives, our minds, our spirits, our emotions, to keep us safe. I think a, a lot about Jesus' first words when he rose from the dead and he appeared to his disciples in a closed room, right? He was able to come into a locked room, appear before them. Mm-hmm. The first thing he said was, peace to you. The word shalom, it means more than just like a sense of inner peace. It means a wholeness, completeness, harmony with every, within every part of you. It's that sense of well-being in all of your being. That's what God's commands are meant to give us. They're they're not meant to, you know, spoil the party. God is not the holy party pooper, right? I know, I just think of Arnold Schwarzenegger in one of the movies he was in. I'm the party pooper. (laughs) That's not God. Everything God does is for our well-being. Even pain, right? We get mad when there's pain in our lives and we blame God. But if we really think about this, God gave us choices as humans in the beginning yeah. of how we were going to grow in intimacy with him and how we were going to mature to become to look more like him and reflect him. And one was a path of constant ongoing joy and just abundant life, life upon life. And the other path was pain and death. Both paths were going to get us to intimacy and maturity, but God gave us the choice of which we were going to walk to get there. And we chose door number two and so we've allowed pain in and then we get mad at god and blame him for the pain and we close our boundaries and our gates to god and yet god is sitting there saying the whole time what jesus is saying peace to you well-being so when we blame god and we refuse to walk in his commands those are the boundaries we cross yeah right all of his commands are for our Mm well-being one of those is forgive as you've been forgiven And we've already established why that's so important. Well, when we cross that boundary and don't forgive, now we've opened up a gate. This is the scary part. Now we don't just have these people in our hearts and minds living rent-free, saying all the hurtful things. We've opened up a gate and let a spiritual entity into that boundary to speak through those wounds. 
speak through that replay of those hurts that we're replaying over and over and over again to speak a message that's not God's voice, that we often identify in our hurt as God's voice. Condemnation, shame, they all come out of that spiritual entity which does not want us to be healthy and whole. Yeah. And it speaks messages about our identity and God's identity that we begin to listen to more than God's voice. I say unresolved pain and wounds and unforgiveness are the megaphone we've handed the enemy to yell at us and speak louder than God's voice. And this is the scary thing about boundaries, if we're not operating in healthy boundaries. What comes to mind when you, as I'm saying all this, Ken? Besides a few of my own that need to get fixed. I think I was processing what we talked about last night. You know, a little bit of a slow processor on occasion. A little time to think through things that I've been avoiding. I think it's like, you were told you were responsible for your mom's uh, emotional well-being. Like you were responsible for anything that happened. You were? I was. Hmm. I mean, pretty much everyone in the family, but uh, as the oldest kid and the air quote, responsible one, that was like our main goal. Make sure mom's happy. Protect mom's emotions. Make sure you don't do anything that could hurt mom or cause mom to be upset. And I was like, well, crud, no wonder I had such a hard time telling you, hey, I'm not sure about these things because all I was thinking about is I don't want to hurt Kurt. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be responsible for Kurt being upset, you know. (laughs) I'm like, oh, yeah, he uh, didn't act anywhere near as horribly as I was expecting. (laughs) Yeah, because who's responsible for the hurt that falls into my property line? You are. I'm still responsible to you. Sure. But I'm responsible to speak the truth and what I'm struggling with in love and not just blast you with it. Sure. But in the end, you're responsible for what you do with what falls in your property line. Right. Whether it's given to me in a nice way or not, a kind way or not, yeah, there are people that you know, say, well, I'm just speaking the truth, right? And they speak it in very mm-hmm. harmful ways, right? This is where it comes back to intention, mm-hmm. right? The thug with the knife is very different than the surgeon with a scalpel. Yeah. What's the intention? Some people say they speak the truth, but they're doing it because they're the thug with the knife. They're using it to hurt. That's their intention. Yeah. When we allow pain into this world and God uses it, the intention is always healing to actually slice out the tumors, the the sick stuff that's keeping us from well-being. Yeah. There's a Corey Asbury song, which is, it's one of those ones that I love the song, I love the message, but it also, I'm like, oh, that's hard to hear. And it's called Faithful Are the Wounds of a Friend. Sometimes it's hard to remember, it's like, okay... They're not doing that to hurt you. They are doing that to help you heal. That means you have to go to those places. Back when I was doing youth ministry full-time, well, more of my full-time gig, I remember that was something like a lot of the kids were really, that was, you know, we're talking 98% non-churched kids, and it was something that a lot of them were really struggling with and asking questions about. And I was like, I had no idea how to answer them. This is like 25-year-old me who doesn't like pain and is, much less healthy than 37-year-old me. And I found a, I think it's called The Problem with Pain Mm. uh, by Philip Yancey. He was talking about leprosy. And the problem with leprosy is that it deadens the nerves. So you can't feel pain. 
And most people will be like, oh, you can't feel pain? That's awesome. But it's actually a huge problem because that means that any little cut, you don't notice the cut, it gets infected. You get gangrene. You lose limbs. You wear the wrong, like we wear the wrong size shoes and it hurts our feet. Mm-hmm. And we notice they don't. People have lost toes. People have lost, had to have the whole foot amputated, all of this stuff. He was, he was talking to someone who they had spent millions and millions of dollars trying to replicate pain sensors for people with leprosy to try to find different ways, like, uh, like a beeping noise. Like, oh, you're touching something hot. Like a beeping noise goes off. And it didn't work. And it didn't work not because the noise... Sh- the noise should have been effective, but because pe- it wasn't enough to stop someone. It took physical pain. To stop them from touching the stove. You know, for me, of course, it brought back all sorts of memories because I've, I've actually been to a leper colony. Wow. In um, Dominican Republic. And, and it's horrendous. It was one of the most heartbreaking things that I saw in that two-month span of time was these people who were so isolated and so broken and any little thing could become life-threatening all because they couldn't feel pain. What I hear in that is there's a big difference between pain and harm, right? Yeah. Again, back to the surgeon with the scalpel. That is about causing pain to reduce harm. So going back to your mom, the message you received as a kid was you were responsible for her pain. Mm-hmm. And you feel responsible for other people's pain. And now... In this, you're learning the difference, right, between the boundaries of what is yours and what isn't. Is that correct? Yeah. Apparently, this is an extremely new revelation, so... No, but that's Um, where we're living, right? Really, discipleship and following Jesus is God making something clear and us stepping in obedience. That's it. That's all this is. Take the next step. Here's what's interesting. We've just talked about when we cross boundaries... We open gates and invite things in unknowingly. Because that doesn't mean every time we don't forgive someone that we've allowed a fallen angel, demonic presence into our minds and hearts. It doesn't happen every time. Just like not every time you leave the front door to your house open at night is something unwanted going to wander in, like whether it's a raccoon or a burglar, right? But how many times are you going to leave the front door to your house open to risk that? When we will not obey God's commands for our well-being, we're opening a door. Not every time we leave the door open is something going to walk in. Yeah. But how many times do we want to risk that? Because that's the enemy. That's where he operates. He operates by deception. He's looking for mm-hmm. those open doors that we don't even know we're, <laughs> we're, we're making available to him. Yeah. But God operates differently. Everything is invitation. Even our pain, right? The intention is there's an invitation to well-being. So where is the invitation for your well-being in the pain that you went through back in the day because of being told you're responsible for your mom's pain? Where's the invitation in that? It was forgiveness, obviously. My dad's actually the one who put that on me, ironically. Hmm. Mom may have said something too, but I actually remember my dad saying, we're responsible to make sure your mom stays happy. Always hated that phrase, happy of life, happy life. 
just because I was like, um, I ain't married to her, but I'm getting stuck with this. Yeah, that's that's a big one. And then moving forward, being aware of it, because, it, you know, it's likely it's a <laughs> 30-something-year-old habit at this point to assume that you're responsible for other people's emotional well-being, you know? So going, okay, God, I have to give this to you. I'm not responsible. It's not, as I like to tell you, not my monkeys, not my circus. Definitely one of the favorite things God's ever told me. It's like, you don't need to carry this. You're not responsible for this in that season. As a matter of fact, it's keeping you from the things you are responsible for, which is to communicate and be honest with where you're at. That's all you're responsible for. Honest vulnerability with God and other people, right? Yeah. Even when they hurt us. That's the only thing we're responsible to be honest with God about that and to be honest with them. And it starts with being honest with God because they may not be safe for us. So we go to God first and we give it over to him, whatever this thing is that's on our property line. And we ask him to take it and carry it. This is Matthew's account of Jesus's life where he quotes Jesus as saying in Matthew eleven twenty eight, I think. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. And I love the reason why he says that to us is he says, because I am humble and lowly of spirit. That is God's heart. It's mind-blowing to think that when Jesus peels back the curtain to show us his heart, it's humility and lowliness of spirit. That is who God is. It is not God who's ever condemning us. He is so lowly, he's at our feet serving us, washing our feet as we see in John chapter 13, I believe it is, where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And he says, now as your Lord and Master, I've washed your feet, now do that for one another. This is how it comes about. We wash each other's feet, we serve each other vulnerably, like Jesus took off all of his outer clothes and was down to his inner garments, like basically underwear, with a towel around his waist, because he is lowly, vulnerable, and humble. And he says, this is the way you are to walk. And the only way we can do that is we continue to accept his invitation to come to him with all of our burdens, right? And we just said, right, when our property line is filled with people we haven't forgiven, that's a heavy weight. Jesus says, here's the invitation. You don't have to carry that, ever. Come to me and dump all that weight and evict all those people by giving them to me. I'm the authority, right, that will get them off your property, <laughs> right? We got to call the authorities when we got squatters on our property. Jesus says, I'm the authority. I'm the only one who can get them off because I'm the one who took on all of your stuff that you did to me and to other people. So give the people who have hurt you and are squatting on your property, give them to me. That's where it starts. That's the invitation. And here's another reason why this is so important on the spiritual reality side. When we talk about demons you know, in people's lives and we, we often look at the movies, right? Mm -hmm. Most of the time when people are being attacked by demons, what's usually the movie about? Possession. Possession, right? Possession. What if maybe our idea of possession is a little bit confused, mm. right? What if we're the ones who are possessing on our property line? Who has let those people that we haven't forgiven live there? Us. Yeah. Who's possessing who, right? Yeah. 
So you know what? You know what another word for unforgiveness is? Obsession. Hmm. We're obsessing over what they've done over and over and over in our mind. And in that obsessing, we are possessing them. And because we have not obeyed God, obsession is a really dangerous thing. It actually pushes God out. We're not thinking about God or his invitation to well-being when we're obsessing about other people and other things. And so what we're doing in obsessing is we're possessing them and we have left a door open for the enemy to come in. That means we have the ability to stop obsessing and stop possessing. We are not a victim. We can let these things go. And Jesus gave us an invitation, which means if, if God has an invitation for us, that means there's free will involved. Mm-hmm. That means we have the ability to accept the invitation, evict the people who are on our property lines, be free of the weight, and begin to live in God, the well-being that God has for us. We are not victims. We are the ones doing the obsessing and possessing And we have the free will to stop. Every thought, every feeling in me is um, like a plane flying into land. We are not victims. We are the air traffic controllers of our property. This is the airport. My property is the airport. And I get to tell which planes, which thoughts, and which feelings to stay and which ones to keep going. Yeah. What do you think about that, Kim? Maybe a clarifying point is the thoughts come. So whether or not you let them land. Right. Because too many people go like, well, I had the thought. I'm like, but you don't have to follow it all the way through to the landing and then give it space to park. It yeah. comes in, sure. Yeah. You had the thought, but does the thought have you? That's your choice. As the Bible says, take every thought captive, which means it's possible, mm-hmm. first off. It, it was just like, well, you are kind of what you're experiencing. You are what you think. And so, you know, you keep thinking those things, and they pretty well almost never lead anywhere good. No. (laughs) Because the ones that like to land like that are are rarely the the good planes carrying good cargo. The 747s that are the bad thoughts (laughs) fly in a little faster and come in a little stronger, so they're easier to land. It's like, well, they're taking up all the space. Now there's no room for the good things to park. Right. Even in the middle of, of talking about, you know, the, the conversation we had yesterday, well, and then realizing that thought process for me started, like, on the 27th of September. There was there was a lot of wrestling and a lot of thoughts and a lot of, well, quite frankly, freaking out because, you know, I remember it was my responsibility. I didn't want to hurt you. And how am I supposed to tell you I'm not feeling the same way about this when you're so excited? Mm-hmm. Just getting stuck in it to the point where... God's like, okay, fine, we're going to break this off and we're going to use dreams that are going to freak you out even more <laughs> in the short term. Talk about the short term pain of feeling all these emotions because the dream, two of the dreams especially were really upsetting for me. Like I would get emotionally, I would like go to process them for nine hours, which is uh, my record <laughs> for that. And about the first five hours was me just trying to get near that to process it and I couldn't do it. Like, I would go near it, and I would get emotionally upset. And I was like, God, I don't even know why I'm upset. I'm yeah. just upset. And I, the second I get upset, I can't focus on you. Because all of a sudden, I've got all these other thoughts and emotions and feelings. And let's bring up things from ten years ago into that. Finally, he's like, okay, 
why don't you set that down? Uh, we'll deal with it later. You fought through it and you didn't go to sleep, so let's count that as a win. But he's like, let's let's turn our focus to something good. So you're you're feeling frustrated with Kurt? Okay, well let's write him a letter telling him everything you appreciate about him and love about him. Which I did appreciate. It worked out. <laughs> you know, but it was that turning. It's like, okay, you had to take those thoughts captive. You had to take those emotions captive. Took me five hours to do it. <laughs> to, to at least get a start on it. And then God's like, was the pain worth it? Oh, okay, yeah. Because something beautiful came out of it in the end. But if I hadn't been willing to take that captive and wrestle through it, then I wouldn't have gotten to get a little over-emotional <laughs> in a good way, you know. And, and by the end, I was like, wow, God, like, this day was hard, but I really loved it, and I wouldn't have changed it for for anything, despite the pain at, at the beginning. Mm. So that pain ended up keeping you from a lot of harm. Yeah. The reason you weren't moving forward was the unknown. You didn't know how I was going to react. Yeah. So the fear of that unknown is what keeps us stuck sometimes. Mm. And God allows the pain of being stuck to grow until it becomes more unbearable than the fear of the unknown. And that becomes the pivot point that tips us into taking a step. When the pain of being stuck is, is worse mm. than the fear of the unknown. Because the stuckness is really the harm. We're not moving we're not stepping into the well-being that God is inviting us into. The longer that you didn't act on it, that original thought to come and talk to me, the more complicated it became because more thoughts and feelings and emotions clouded that, the longer you stayed in, in this pain, right? Mm -hmm. So this is why noticing our thoughts and feelings and keeping in mind the invitation that Jesus gives us to come to him with all of our weariness and all of our burdens, is so important to do that quickly rather than let all these burdens sit on our property and leave the gate open to whatever wants to wander in. Yeah. And the longer that gate stays open, the more dangerous things become. And the more stuff crowds our space and clouds our judgment yeah. and gets us angry and lashing out. And now out of that pain, we're creating pain in other people. And we have a nation that's just divided and fighting against itself. So to quote Michael Jackson, you know, I'm looking at the man in the mirror. It starts with me. Am I willing to notice what I'm letting sit on my property? And immediately, as soon as it comes onto my property, I can't always control what comes on my property. Right. But I have control what I do with it immediately. Yeah. Do I take Jesus' invitation or don't I? And that is the difference between health and well-being. Uh, so Henry Cloud, when I, was, when I was listening to the thing, he's like, boundaries are basically the structure of the way God has designed life. Where the boundaries are, the limits are, the responsibilities are, and where the ownership is. Ultimately, a good word for boundaries is stewardship. Mm. Because we're stewarding everything that God's given us within our boundary line? That's the question. What do we do with it? What do we do with it? Jesus gives us an invitation. And that's where well-being is. Kim, will you pray to close this out for all of us who struggle with boundaries? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sure. 
Dad, thank you. Thank you for how clear it is to us that ultimately all of this is in your hands. Father, you are the owner of the harvest field. And we're just responsible to obey you and live within the boundaries that you've given us for our good. Dad, help us to see where we're not believing and trusting in who you are. You are a good father. You don't withhold anything good from us. Dad, so help us to believe that where you are withholding things from us, it's because it's not what is for our best. And Dad, boundaries are hard. (laughs) It feels like they're really hard sometimes to know where to set them within ourselves and how to express them. But Dad, you... You've given us the best invitation of all, that we get to come to you with all of this. And where we don't know what to do, and where we don't know to put the boundary lines, Dad, all we have to do is come to you and ask you to show us. Dad, you are faithful to answer. You've promised that if we ask you for wisdom, you will give it to us. Mm. Thank you that we can trust you to be who you say you are to us. And I just ask that you would give all of those listening, and Kurt and I as well, Father, a better picture of who you are and who we are so that we can steward what you've given us well, so that we can remember that we are your kids and that you have given us authority to set boundaries and that we get to hold our thoughts captive and that they are not holding us captive. Dad, help us to walk in your truth in this matter because we're your kids. You are the father of lights and you say that we are your children. Just reveal more and more of yourself to us, Dad, because we need to see ourselves reflected through your eyes first. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What I heard in that was... The invitation we have to take every thought captive. It's a command, an mm-hmm. invitation. It's a scripture. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And who Christ is, is the one saying, peace to you. Shalom, well-being to you. Take every thought captive to the obedience of the one who is the Prince of Peace. That's beautiful. Thanks, Kim, for this conversation. Thanks, Kurt. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Life Hurts, God Heals. Before you go, let me ask you a question. Are you stuck in any way in your life? Whether it's being stuck in past wounds that you can't seem to get over, or whether it's just being stuck in certain patterns of thinking and behaving now that you just can't seem to get past, or you feel stuck when it comes to the future You want to know what God has for you and how to move into that. Well, let me help you with that. As a coach, my goal is to help you discover who God made you to be. What is your unique identity? Let me help you discover that. Because everything else you want out of life flows from that. If you're interested in having a consultation with me, You can reach me at coachkurt777 at gmail.com. Until next time, remember, you are God's beloved, so be loved.